Revelation chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. John says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." Now, John continues his description of what he saw when he was taken in the spirit into the throne or to the throne of God. And coming from the throne were, of God were rumblings, flashes of lightning and thunder. Does that sound familiar? Now, the reason I ask you that is this, because one of the things I want to try to teach you as we go through the study of Revelation, not only is the fact that most of what we see here in the book of Revelation actually has been written about in the rest of the Bible. And all Revelation does is compile it for us, giving us a few added glimpses of things or information. But what I also want you to see is that the book of Revelation given to the church will make a whole lot more sense to us if we have a deeper understanding of the Old Testament and all the things that God had revealed. You know Christianity has its roots in Judaism. And God's not done with Israel, as we've already looked at, and we'll look at it in a lot more detail as we go further on. And that he's saving us Gentiles for a time to make Israel jealous. But one of the mistakes that churches make today is that they just start trying to read the church into everything, and they lose sight of all that God was doing with the nation of Israel. He's revealed himself to them and was to use them for his purposes in the world, as you're going to see as priests to the world, to reveal God to man. And when you have a deeper understanding, which I hope God uses me to accomplish in this study, when you have a deeper understanding of what has already gone on in the Old Testament and what God's been doing to the nation of Israel and through the nation of Israel, a lot in the book of Revelation will all of a sudden make not only more sense. You'll be reading along and you'll go, that's just like, and it'll remind you of things that have happened earlier. You're going to see this. For example, down the road, John is going to be told to take a little scroll and to eat it. And he's going to be told it's going to taste sweet in your mouth, but it's going to make your stomach sour. And your brain, if you've known the scriptures in the Old Testament, is going to go back to the fact that Ezekiel was told the exact same thing. And he had the same experience. And so as I was reading and preparing and kind of doing the study for where we go next in these verses that we have here to cover, I in all my years of teaching Revelation, have never really dealt with the fact that from the throne came rumblings and flashes of lightning and thunder. And my first thought was, wait a minute, I remember the first time I see God with rumblings and flashes of lightning and thunder. Does anybody know what part we're talking about? On Mount Sinai, isn't it? Go with me back to Exodus chapter 19. Back in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 25. And to be honest with you, I'll explain in a little bit why. It surprised me. To see that in heaven, around the throne of God, there were still lightning and flashes of lightning and rumblings and thunder, which we saw in the Old Testament, which were fearful. In Exodus chapter 19, look at verses 1 through 25. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness, into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." 
So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set, them, set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, meaning with an arrow. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain and the, to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, be ready for the third day, do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took the stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people can't come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And so here when God reveals himself to the nation of Israel... He comes down on top of Mount Sinai in a thick cloud, and what came out of that cloud on that mountain were rumblings and thunder and flashes of lightning, so much so that the people were afraid. As you're going to see later on, the, the, the Scripture even tells us that they even said to Moses, you know what, from now on, you find out what God says, you have God tell it to you, and then you tell it to us. We don't even want to hear God talk anymore. We're so afraid of Him. And so knowing that God had already revealed himself with the flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and all this stuff, I was surprised to see that in heaven that the thunder and the lightning was still coming from the throne. And then God spoke to my heart and he said, Jim, I haven't changed. I'm still holy. And then it hit me. How come Moses and Aaron were allowed to go up on the mountain and everybody else wasn't even allowed to touch it or else they'd die? How come Moses and Aaron were allowed to go up into the presence of God? By the way, that was a question. Because God had declared them righteous. Listen to me very carefully. The Bible's very, very clear that the only ones that can ever go into the presence of God are those who have been declared righteous by God. If you look at Moses and Aaron... There are times they look impressive, but there are also times they don't look so impressive. Golden calf being one of them. But they were allowed in his presence because he had declared them righteous. Uh, let me give you a couple examples of that. Go with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and look at verses 1 through 8. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In other words, what did he do in his own strength? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes there from Psalm 32 where David wrote, Blessed are those who lawless whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So who are the ones that are considered righteous? The ones that have been living right? 
than doing in their own strength the right things or the ones that God has declared righteous because of their faith in what he has said. It's those by faith. Go to Romans chapter 5. You're in chapter 4. Look at verses, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified, already declared righteous by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are able to go into the presence of God. That's why we looked at last week, we're going to be a part of the 24 elders that are seated around the throne, that's the church that is there in his presence, ruling and reigning with him on the throne, just like he promised we will. And we're able to be in his presence, but the flashes of lightning and the thunder and all that stuff is still happening. Why? Because he hasn't changed. He's still holy. And anyone that thinks they can get into his presence on their own merit, anyone that thinks they can just go themselves to the presence of God, apart from him giving them righteousness, will be put to death. You want to see it real clear? Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verses 18 through 29. I think of all the people today that talk about God in this manner. Oh, when I go stand before the big guy upstairs, then we'll be... They have no idea. They have no idea. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. For you have not come, speaking to believers, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure... For they could not endure the order that was given. If a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are, en who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In other words, we don't have to worry about that fear and that lightning and the thunder and all that. But look at what he says next. Verse 25, speaking to those who aren't covered by the blood. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It should not be surprising to us that when you see the throne of God, that there are still rumblings and flashes of lightning and thunder just like it was on Mount Sinai because, folks, he has not changed. All along, the only ones allowed in his presence are the ones he has declared worthy to be in his presence, and it's not by how good you are, but it's only because you have faith in him and him giving you righteousness. And we know now how he has made that possible through Jesus Christ. And so, folks, let me just tell you, he hasn't changed. But then we see these seven spirits of God. Go to, go to Revelation, back to chapter 4 again. And some of you, if you've not seen this before, are going to think, wait a minute, seven spirits of God? I, I thought God was one. Doesn't Deuteronomy say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one? Why, who are, what are these seven spirits of God? Let me read it to you again. Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire. Again, it tells you what it represents. Which are the seven spirits of God. Now, then we'll see that there was a sea of glass like crystal around the throne. And that's going to come out in our study a little later tonight. Some of you might say, wait a minute, these seven spirits of God, what are the seven spirits of God? I thought there was one spirit of God. Well, again, if you had been faithful to read the Old Testament and you knew what the Old Testament had said, this would make sense to you because you would say, I've seen these seven spirits before. They're actually in the Old Testament. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, look at verses 1 through 9. 
Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth, from, forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and, f- and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he, his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. There shall not, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Here we see a description of the millennial kingdom which is coming, where Jesus literally rules and, reign, rules and reigns on the earth. And this is a description of Jesus. Go back again to, to verse 1 of chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. In other words, a descendant of Jesse is going to be this one that the prophecy talks about. Anybody know who it is? It's very clear. It's Jesus. A descendant of Jesse was David, and from David's lineage came Jesus, and this is who it's talking about. But if you don't mind writing in your Bibles, write these numbers down real quick. Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord, number 1, shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom, number 2, understanding, number 3, counsel, 4, Might, five. Knowledge, six. And fear of the Lord, seven. Seven spirits of God. In other words, what it means is, as you've done, if you've done any study of scriptures, you know that God's used the number seven to talk about completion and perfection. He created the world on six days, but on the seventh day he rested. Why? Because he was finished his work. All the way through. And here, yes, God is one. There's only one God. And he manifests himself in three persons. But at the same time, he, his, who he is, as you're about to see tonight, is bigger than we ever thought. His spirit is a spirit of might and understanding and counsel and wisdom. And I could go on, but they're already listed for you there. And how many of us remember the fact that Isaiah chapter 9, 6, when it talks about the coming Messiah, says, And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. Does anybody know the next part? Almighty God. Years ago when I was a pastor in Chicago, a Jewish man was uh, emailing me back and forth and he wanted to, dis- to discuss Jesus because he was wrestling with the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. But he said to me, he said, I don't want you to use the New Testament. I only want you to use the Old Testament. We don't believe that the New Testament is of God. Only use the Old Testament. And as we went back and forth over the weeks, one day he sends me this email and he says, You Christians believe that Jesus is God and that the Messiah is God. Nowhere does the Old Testament say that the Messiah would be God. And I took him to Isaiah chapter 11 and Isaiah 9, 6, where it says his name shall be called Almighty God. The seven spirits of God before the throne are representative of of God's spirit, which is one spirit, but it is manifested in many ways that are beyond even our comprehension. Let's take a look now at the four living creatures. Go back to Revelation chapter 4. John describes four living creatures around the throne of God, and you're going to see they look almost exactly like the four living creatures of Ezekiel that, that Ezekiel saw, and we're going to read that in a little bit. See, Ezekiel was taken into the presence of God as well. But let me read to you Revelation chapter 4 again, starting in verse uh, 6. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes and all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now again, if you were reading this and you knew the Old Testament, 
You knew what God had been revealing all throughout time to the nation of Israel. He's revealed himself to them so that they would be a kingdom of priests to the world to reveal who God is. And you had been faithful to know this. You would read this and you'd go, this isn't strange at all. We've seen these four living creatures before. Go with me back to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 through 28. Ezekiel's on the edge of the river Kebar. And he has a vision where he's taken in the Spirit in the same way that John was to the presence of God. Ezekiel chapter 1, listen to verse 4 through 28. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had human, like, they had human likenesses, but each had four faces and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on the four, their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies." And each went straight forward wherever the spirit would go. They went without turning as they went. For the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of barrel, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went, and their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the Spirit wanted them wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal. That's that sea of glass that John saw. Spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were, were, wings were stretched out straight one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. And when they, when they stood still, they let down their wings." And above the expanse over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire and closed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. Remember how John saw the rainbow around the throne? So did Ezekiel. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. So here we see that John has seen in Revelation when he's taken into the throne room of God, these four living creatures, Ezekiel saw the same ones. Now, interestingly enough, though, if you were to do a comparison, you'll find that what Ezekiel saw was that each of the four living creatures had four faces. One of a man, one of an ox, one of an eagle, and one of a, uh, of a my brain just shut off. Lion. lion, thank you. And John said the four living creatures each had one face, one of an ox, one of a lion, one of an eagle, one of a man. Ezekiel sees them and he says that they have four wings. John sees them and he says that they have six wings. I'm going to get into the discrepancies in a little bit, but I'm just going to tell you, don't get stuck on that just yet. I'm going to get into the discrepancies in a little bit. Hang on. But what you want, I want you to understand is, is what John saw is the same thing that Ezekiel saw. We've seen them before. The discrepancies will become clearer, maybe, in a little bit. So just stick with me. But Ezekiel also came to realize that these four living creatures are the cherubim. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 10 and look at verses 1 through 22. 
Because you're going to see that Ezekiel comes to realize that these four living creatures that he saw for the first time in Ezekiel 1, at the point of chapter 10, he now realizes from God's revelation, they're cherubim. There's different levels or different types of angels, and these are the cherubim. All right. In Ezekiel 10, verses 1 through 22, Then I looked, and behold, on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like sapphire, an appearance like a throne. And he said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And he went in before my eyes. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house when the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court. And the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when He speaks. And when He commanded the man clothed in linen, take fire from between the whirling wheels and between, from between the cherubim, He went in and stood beside a wheel. And a cherub stretched out His hand from between the cherubim to the fire that was between the cherubim and took some of it and put it into the hands of the man clothed in linen, who took it and went out. The cherubim appeared to have the form of a human hand under their wings. And I looked, and behold, there were four wheels beside the cherubim, one beside each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like sparkling barrel. And as for their appearance, the four had the same likeness as if it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went. But in whatever direction the front wheel faced, the others followed without turning as they went. And their whole body, their rims and their spokes, their wings and the wheels were full of eyes all around. The wheels that the four of them had. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. And every one had four faces. The first the face was the face of a cherub. The second the face of a human face. Third the face of a lion. And the fourth the face of an eagle. By the way, that word translated cherub could also be translated ox. And the cherubim mounted up. These were the living creatures that I saw by the cherub Kebar Canal. Do you see it? These were the living creatures that I saw by the Chabar Canal. And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. And when the cherubim lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the wheels did not turn from beside them. And when they stood still, they, these stood still. And when they mounted up, these mounted up with them, from the, for the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord, and the glory of the Lord God of Israel was over them. These were the living creatures that I saw underneath God, the God of Israel by the Kebar Canal, and I knew that they were cherubim. Each had four faces and each had four wings, and underneath their wings the likeness of human hands. And as for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen by the Kebar Canal. Each of them went straight forward. So now we see another thing, a little bit more information here from the Scriptures, that these four living creatures are cherubim. Remember the, the old hymn, cherubim and seraphim falling down before him? Because if you go to Daniel, sorry, not Daniel, Isaiah chapter 6, and you'll see where Isaiah is taken into the throne room of God as well. And he says, on the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted it up, and the trunk of his robe filled the temple, and when he spoke, the threshold shook. And I said, woe well, unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And the scripture says that some seraphim with six wings came from there above the throne of God and took tongs and took coal from an altar and touched his lips. So we know that there are seraphim as well. There are seraphim and there are cherubim. Now, as for the fact that there is a difference, though, we see here that they, here they, they are underneath the expanse with the sea of glass above them and the throne of God above that. Where John sees them, we see concentric circles with the throne of God, 24 elders, sea of glass, four living creatures out beyond from there. John doesn't describe the seraphim where Ezekiel does, sorry, Isaiah does. As for the discrepancies, stick with me. Don't go there yet. Because there's some more we need to lay for the foundation. But stay with me, because it's hopefully going to be very helpful for you in a little bit. As we've already seen, the cherubim have a role, though. You say, already seen. Well, you might not have noticed it in the section I just read to you. But the cherubim play a part in judgment. You see, the fire that is taken by that man of, uh, clothed in linen... Is having to do with judgment that's going to come on the nation of Israel because of their sin. And who hands him the fire? One of the cherubim. Hands him the fire. Uh, we're not going to take a look at it in Revelation chapter 6 because we'll get there in time. 
probably 2016. But, but, but when you get to the opening of the seals, the first living creature is the one that calls out the white horse. The second living creature calls out the red horse and so on. The living creatures are part of the judgment of God. God uses them in his judgment on the earth. Let me show you one more example. Go to Revelation chapter 15 and look at verse 7. Keep a finger in Ezekiel. You're coming back. But go with me to Revelation chapter 15 and look at verse 7. Revelation chapter 15, verse 7 says, And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. When God pours out His last of the plagues on the earth at the end of the tribulation period, who is the one that hands the seven angels that are going to pour out these bowls of wrath? Who hands that to them? One of the living creatures. The living creatures, part of their role is the judgment of God. If you do a fuller study, which we don't have time to go into, the seraphim have to do with the holiness of God and the cleansing of man. But the cherubim have to do not only with judgment, but also guarding. Do you know when the first time was we saw one of these four living creatures? Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. Very good. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Look at verses 22 and 24, through 24. Right after Adam and Eve commit the sin of disobedience and eat from, eating from the tree they were told not to. Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, it says, It would make more sense if I was in Genesis. I'm looking at it and going, that doesn't make sense. It was, I was in Exodus. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Some of you may or may not know this, but when the nation of Israel had the tabernacle and also the temple, God's instructions were that on that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies where only God was and only the high priest could go once a year and only with blood, on that veil that was torn from the top to the bottom when Jesus died was embroidered cherubim. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 8, I think it's around verse 7. Don't quote me on that one, but I think it's 1 Kings chapter 8, around verse 7. You'll see that when they were told, to, uh, they described the Ark of the Covenant, they carried around on top were cherubim, which were reaching out and their wings were touching each other. We know this much, that the cherubim role is that of guarding and protection and also that of judgment. I told you to stick a finger in Ezekiel. Go with me to Ezekiel 28. You'll find that there used to be a cherubim who had a wonderful position, and he lost it. Ezekiel 28, look at verses 11 through 17. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You're about to see that he's not talking specifically about the earthly king of Tyre for very long. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Who's this talking about? Satan. Satan is one, was one of the cherubim. And he lost his position. So what about these discrepancies, Jim? I mean, 
John sees six wings. Ezekiel sees four. John sees each as only having one face. Yes, it's a man and an ox and a lion and an eagle. But Ezekiel sees four faces on each one. One of each of those on each one. Ezekiel sees them below the, the, the expanse of the sea of glass with a throne above them, where John sees them outside around the throne, around the, the sea of glass. Jim, what about the discrepancies? Folks, let me just tell you, I spent hours wrestling with these discrepancies, looking at people's explanations, and this is what God told me to tell you. As for the slight discrepancies as to how many wings and how many faces, the best answer is, is to say that there is an answer. And any answer we would give would be a guess. I'm going to be honest with you. I could give you two or three plausible explanations. Some of you are going to come up to me after the study and try to tell me what you think it is and why. It happens all the time, even though I say, don't waste your time. Because to be honest with you, if the scripture hasn't clearly told us why, we don't know why. But you're going to see if you're willing to accept this as an answer, it's going to help you as we get further in the study tonight. The best answer is to tell you there is an answer. But any answer I would give you or anybody would give you would be a guess. We don't know. It's a mystery. But I don't want you to let the discrepancies cause you to miss something very powerful in our text. Go back with me to Revelation chapter 4. We can get so caught up with trying to figure out a reason for the discrepancies because we love to figure out the mystery that we would miss something here that I can't wait to show you. The four living creatures are also a continual manifestation of the glory of God's creation that is always in His presence. As you're going to see in the context here, look at verses 9 through 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, listen to what they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The four living creatures represent the manifestation of God's creation, His glory that is revealed in His creation. Look, one's the face of man. One has the face of an ox. One has the face of a lion. One has the face of an eagle. This is His creation. And if you're willing to let the Scripture show you this, all the way through Scripture, how does God reveal who He is? How does God prove His existence? Through creation alone. If you did a study, you'll find the Bible doesn't seek to prove the existence of God. It really doesn't. It just says that He exists. In the beginning, God did what? Created. And go with me real quick to Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 18 through 25. God is extremely passionate about His glory, and He's passionate about His glory being revealed through creation. And as, as I, God began to open my eyes, all God does when He tries to prove His existence and try to reveal Himself to man and show that He exists and receive glory, He just sends us back to creation. Romans chapter 1, look at verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, instead of worshiping the Creator, they worship created things. But why did God create these things? To reveal who He is. Everything that needs to be known about God, the Bible says, has already been revealed to us through creation. He's pretty passionate about it. I'm not going to have you turn there, but write it down and look at it later on. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 30. God actually, Jesus, who is God, tells us, look, you worried about stuff? Look at creation. 
You worried about what you're going to eat? <laughs> the birds, look at the birds. They don't gather or store in barns, but the Lord takes care of them. You worried about what you're going to wear? <laughs> look at creation. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. They're more beautiful than anything Solomon's wearing. Isn't that interesting? That when Jesus could say, hey, my father will take care of you, he says it via creation. Job, he gets to the point where he says, I wish I could have a face-to-face with God. I know that I haven't done anything worthy of the stuff that I'm going through. And I would love to have a face-to-face and ask him some questions. And God shows up in chapter 38. And God says, oh, by the way, you're free to ask me anything you want. But before you do, let me ask you a couple quick questions. I love how God says it to him, by the way. He says, brace yourself like a man. In other words, how are you going to stand up to me? (laughs) Brace yourself as good as you can, big fella. You and your diapers. Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth. Surely you know. Where's the snow stored? Where does the mountain goat give birth? And God, for four chapters, 38, 39, 40, and 41, goes into an unbelievable discourse simply using what he has already revealed through creation to Job to to defend his existence, and his right to do what he wants. And by the time he's done, Job says, I opened my mouth and spoke about things that I had no knowledge, and now I shut my mouth. How does God feel about his creation? He's very proud of it. And he's used it to bring glory to himself. The full living, I'll get right to you, John. The full living creatures are a manifestation of the glory of God as revealed through creation. And whenever they give honor to God, the 24 elders know full well what it means, and they fall down and they say, you created everything. Go ahead. Well, one, I think one of the things the problems Christians have is to try to prove God what they already know what Exactly. There's no such thing as an atheist. They're just liars. <laughs> Plain and simple. The Bible's very clear. There's no such thing as an atheist. They're just liars. Let me show you one more passage. Go to Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. There's many, many more. But look at Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Again, the heavens declare the glory of God. God is passionate about his glory, and he's revealed it through creation. And the four living creatures, you can get so caught up in how many wings and how many faces, you'll miss what it's really all about. Now, before we go into the last part of our study tonight, I want to also take you back in your minds, if you know the scriptures. If not, go back and double-check me. I want to take you back in your minds to Job chapter 40 and 41. Because if you do a study, you'll find that as God is talking to Job about creation and how he's who he is and he has the right to do whatever he wants because he made everything and it's his world, he describes two animals, a dragon we know him as Leviathan and Behemoth. And I think God is actually pointing a picture of what's coming. With well, how is Satan described in the book of Revelation? The dragon. If you do a study of, of the Leviathan there in, in um, Job 40, you'll find that whenever I go into a, a, a Christian bookstore and I look at Bibles, the first thing I do when I'm looking at a study Bible is go right to chapter 40 and see what the commentators have to say about the Leviathan. That's the first place I look. And you know what's sad? Almost 100% of them all say it's a crocodile. That's a joke. 
No crocodile. I'm going to tell you what it is, and you can double check it, and you'll find it's true. It is. It, it doesn't exist anymore because the Bible says actually if the scripture. You do a study of the word Leviathan, you'll find that God killed Leviathan. It's a fire-breathing dragon. It talks about how its tail is so long that it just sweeps the oceans. It's huge. It says man can't even touch it, can't even touch it with its swords or with its arrows. It says that fire, three times it talks about how fire comes from its mouth. Folks, where do you think all these fire-breathing dragon stories came up? There used to be on the earth a fire-breathing dragon that man could not touch because God in his creation also made an animal that represented Satan. And at the end of chapter 40, the Leviathan is described this way. It is the father of all who are proud. And in Revelation, you're going to see he's called that ancient serpent and he's also called the dragon. God has actually, through all of creation, revealed all of the truths of everything we need to know. They're all there. They're all there. The Bible actually, I'm not talking to teach you about astrology because the Bible says that's sin. But the Bible says that God's also revealed the gospel in the stars. There's a whole lot more there. I don't have time to get into it, but let me just tell you, get out of your houses. Turn off your computers. Go walk on the beach. We're blessed to live where we live. Go sit by a shore and throw a fishing line in the water. Part of the reason I love golf is because I get to walk four miles. And if I'm hitting it crooked, five miles but I get to enjoy the beauty of the God's creation and the glory of it. Folks, you need a touch from God? Go outside. When I need to spend some time with the Lord and just be reminded of who I am and the fact that I need to brace myself like a man, I go out into my back porch at night and just look at the stars, be reminded of my size. But I'm going to ask you a question as we wrap up tonight. As we go back to Revelation chapter 4, has anybody seen it yet? And I, you might not know exactly what I'm talking about. But as I was doing this study and I came to the fact that the rumblings and the lightning caught me by surprise. Didn't expect to see that in heaven. I thought that was an Old Testament thing. The seven spirits of God, even though I knew about them, i got to be honest with you, I can't fully describe the seven spirits of God. They're, they're a little bit bigger than my brain can fully comprehend. But I know that there are seven uh, torches blazing before the throne of God that represent the seven spirits of God. And it's, he's given us a glimpse, but i got to be honest with you, I don't fully understand it. And then all of a sudden we get these four living creatures and we're not even really sure how many faces they have yet, do we? We really don't know how many wings they have. But we know that they're the same ones that Ezekiel saw, and there's something about them that's bigger. The more God reveals about himself, the more mysterious he becomes. The more we come to know who God is, the bigger he will get. If anybody teaches you the book of Revelation like they figured it all out and they've got God in a box, run from that person. Because actually, if you look at the scriptures, those who came to know God more and more were even more and more dumbfounded. The disciples were in the boat with Jesus and the storm came up and he was asleep in the boat. And they said, don't you care if we perish? It's kind of ironic that they would say, don't you care if we perish? That's the whole reason he was on the earth. It's because he cared whether or not they perished. And the Bible says he woke up and he spoke to the wind and the waves and he said, be still. In the Greek, it really paints a picture we can't really see in the English. Then if you've been a fisherman or, or people been out on boats, you know that when a storm comes up, it gets kind of crazy on the water. But then when the storm dies down, it takes a while for the water to calm down. The Bible says in the Greek that when Jesus said, be still, the wind and the waves pretty much said, yes, sir, and went just like that. And it was so astonishing that the disciples, you can double check me, it's in Mark chapter 4, they said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Go with me back to Revelation chapter 1, and look at what happens to John as he's on the Isle of Patmos, and he sees Jesus again for the first time since his resurrection and since his ascension. Revelation chapter 1, look at verses 9 through 18. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 
I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all its strength. When I saw him, I said, hey, buddy, how's it going? Haven't seen you in a while. Is that was, was that remember? Remember, John was the one who had walked with Jesus. He was the one, the disciple. He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved in the Lord's Supper, the upper room. He was the one leaning against his breast. What was the reaction of John when he saw Jesus again now? He fell at his feet as though dead. Scared him into a heart attack. And Jesus puts his hand on him and says, get up. You're going to get to know me some more. And I'm bigger than you ever dreamed. You thought the boat and the wind and the waves was amazing? You ain't seen nothing yet. And for years, people have used the passage in 1 John that when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll, be, we'll see him like he is. We've had people say that when we get to heaven, we'll understand it all. You ever heard people say, when we get to heaven, we'll understand and we'll have all our questions answered? And, no. Let me just tell you. Because if you fully understand everything when you get to heaven, you become omniscient and only God is omniscient. And I believe that the Bible shows us as we get glimpses of this, that for eternity, we're going to be getting to know more and more and more about him. How many of you have ever read C.S. Lewis's writings? Have you ever read C.S. Lewis's writings? If you haven't, please go find them. He, uh, he start with Mere Christianity, one of the neatest books on Christianity, really good. C.S. Lewis was a professor in, in England back many, many years ago who didn't believe in God. He was one of those atheists who came to realize he was wrong. And God began to reveal himself to him in such a way, and this guy's got an ability to write and to think that's beyond I can, what I can do. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and so on. And he has an insight into things of God where he came to realize the more he came to understand who God was, and he had a brain that could understand a lot, the bigger God got. And in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, he tells the story of Lucy. And as you know, there's different books. And in one of the books, he, she goes back. Lucy goes into Narnia and meets Laslan the first time. And then later on, she goes back into Narnia, and she sees the lion again who represents Jesus. And she says to him, you're bigger. And he says, I'm not. But every year that you grow, I'll grow. In other words, I will seem bigger and bigger and bigger to you forever, but I'm not any bigger. And I believe heaven is going to be a continual learning more and more and more. And folks, don't be freaked out by the seven spirits of God or the four living creatures or the seraphim or the sea of glass and all this stuff that we don't fully understand. The whirling wheels. Some of you engineers have already tried to picture how you could draw it on a sketch pad. You've already got it graphed out in your brain. How will it work? It's going to be awesome. But don't think the more you get to know, the smaller he'll get. I want you to write down these two passages of Scripture. They will be very, very helpful for you. The first one is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, the things revealed to us and to our children. In other words, God's going to hide stuff from you. There'll be stuff you don't know. That belong to him. Actually, you're going to see later on in the study that John sees something and the seven thunders speak it. And he starts to write down what they spoke. And he's told you can't write that down. What did Paul say when he was taken into the third heaven? I saw things that I'm not allowed to talk about. Write this one down, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says this. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Let me say it to you again. It's to God's glory to hide stuff. To search things out is to our glory. 
So there's nothing wrong with trying to figure them out, but don't get bogged down to the point that you start arguing with brothers and sisters over your speculation as to how you think it'll be. You may not fully agree with me on some of the things that I teach from the Scriptures, but please understand, if I say this is how it will be, it's because I've wrestled with it, I've prayed over it, and I believe the Spirit of God has released me to show you from the Word this is what it says. I got no problem with saying, I don't know. The old Jim years ago would have tried to tell you about the discrepancies between the wings and the faces. I'm smarter than that now. I don't know. Nobody does. But one day we will. Maybe. Maybe. You know, the Bible says that God is not able to be figured out. It actually says that in Romans 11, 33 through 36. He says, oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? Who's ever been his counselor? For from him and to him and for him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. It's all about him. Church. Get over yourselves. The church is not the center of everything. Stop reading the church into the book of Revelation where it doesn't belong. Stop reading the church into prophecies about the end times where we're not going to be here. And understand that this is about God and his glory. And he's not done with the nation of Israel. And he's got something in mind, but it's all about him. Oh, but if you keep reading from chapter 11, verses 33 through 36 that I just quoted to you, and you move into chapter 12, it says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that it's actually all about him, but he's allowing us to be a part of it and sit on thrones around him, Pretty amazing, isn't it? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, then you will be able to know what his will is. You'll never figure him out, but he will reveal his will. He will show you what he wants you to do. He will direct your path. He will walk you through what he wants you to do. Get over trying to figure it all out. Get over trying to win the argument theologically. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Think how much more fun we'd be to hang around if we'd be willing to say, we don't know. Oh, but you can know him. One last verse, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is in the garden right before the cross. And in John 17, verses 1 through 5, it says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Can you figure him out? Can you know him? Yes. Father, thank you again for this chance to allow the book of Revelation to just take us into a time of worship. That's one of the biggest things that happened to me as I was wrestling with these passages and and writing down what I believe you were showing me from this section of Scripture. When years passed, I tried to figure things out. All I could do now was just say, wow. You're bigger than we ever imagined. There's things about you we may never understand. Are we okay with that? Thank you that by your grace I am. Because I don't even fully understand how salvation works, except you say you give it to us if we respond in faith. Oh, we like to fight over which happens first, the chicken or the egg, when it comes to salvation. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. We're putting each other in camps of Arminianism or Calvinism. Father, forgive us for becoming proud in our figuring things out when actually the Scripture shows there are a lot of secret things that belong to you. There are a lot of things that are to your glory that you conceal. You want us to search. But even if we search, your word says you put that in our heart in the first place. So, Lord... For everybody here tonight that knows you through Jesus, pour into our hearts right now as we let you. A love for you that just says thank you. Thank you that heaven's going to be pretty cool as we spend eternity getting to know you. 
as you reveal more of yourself as you choose, when you choose. And Lord, take away any desire in any of us tonight that is still hoping to get to heaven and turn to our brother and sister and say, I win, I told you so. And Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you because your spirit's been drawing them, and they come because they're curious, open their eyes and their heart, open their mind, open, open them in such a way that they're ready to just surrender and say, Lord, if I'm going to be saved, if I'm going to go into your presence, it's only because you make it that way and I receive it tonight. May they no longer fear the flashes of lightning. But Lord, if they walk out of here tonight rejecting this, put the fear of the coming judgment in them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.